<laughs> Hello. Let's pray. You're holy. You're so worth it, God. You're so beautiful and wonderful. <laughs> oh, why does this always happen? I trust you, Jesus. We trust you as a church. I thank you, God, that your presence shows up so tangibly. I thank you, Lord, that when we, when we, we worship and when we pray, like you come. It's not just words on a page. It's like you manifest yourself. I can't imagine life without your presence, God. I love your presence, Jesus. I love it more than my own breath. I just love, I love the longing of your heart to dwell with the people. I love, God, that, that the chief desire of your heart is that you would just be with me in this room, every single person here. I thank you that you went to the cross for the sole purpose that we could dwell with you all the days of our life. That we don't have to be alone. That we get the king of glory, the king of love. The one who spoke us into existence. We get to live in intimacy with you. I thank you, Lord. The giver of life. <laughs> the giver of life. The giver of life. The giver of hope. The giver of joy. The giver of life and hope. The giver of peace. The giver of love. The giver of a reckless, reckless, overwhelming love that we could search every day of our life for and we still won't be able to grasp how radical your love is, God. Oh, it's, life is so much better with you. It is so, it is so much better with you. Oh, let's sing. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul. Rejoice. Take Joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. 
Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory. Majesty. Praise forever to one more time of kings. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. <laughs> oh, just lift up his, just lift up a shout. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> Essentially what happened was my whole sermon, you know, so I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, except for this is what God is doing in the earth right now. Um, he is. Hmm, he is showing us truly what it means to be priest. Um, I believe what God is, is doing in the earth right now is, is he is looking for people and he is looking for churches that will say, I will take up the call that you have had since the foundation of the world to be a priest, to consecrate myself, ourselves, to be ones who are set apart, who orient our whole lives around the presence of God. You see, I, uh, I was, how many of you have ever listened to the Bible Project? It's, ama it's amazing. It's amazing. Benjamin Olsen, come on. <laughs> and uh, I, the Lord spoke to me last week and he said, you're going you're gonna to speak on the priesthood of believers. And I said, okay. And I was like, I've never preached on that before, but I'll, I'll go on the journey. And uh and then this week I, I was listening to the Bible Project and they did this whole series. If you like, want more like theological teaching, you know, watch that because they do a great job teaching. I'm a preacher and I'm going to preach. Um, but this teacher boils down to if you take this whole book from beginning to end, the goal and what the singular thing this communicates is God is looking. He made a people to be priests to dwell with him in Adam and Eve. And this whole book is a story of God doing everything he can so that we would be people like Adam and Eve in the beginning before sin entered the world. Like he created us to be priests. Each and every one of us are called to be priests before we're called to be anything else. 
before we're called to, to be moms and dads, before we're called to be husband and wife, before we're called to be preacher and pastor and, I don't know, guitar player. Clearly, I work for a church. I'm only thinking of church stuff. Real estate agents, you know, before all of it. I'm like, wow, that's really creative. Just list all of my jobs. <laughs> Before all of those things, what we're called to be is a people who prioritize the presence of God and consecrate ourselves and orient our whole lives around God's desire for our lives, not our own desire for our lives. Like we live in a day and an age where the Western church is plagued, is plagued by what can God do for me? This is what Western Christianity is, is what can God do for me? How can God help grow my ministry? How can God do this? How can, look, God wants to do those things. Um, but what he is looking for is people that say, I want to do what God wants. I want to like have a presence filled life and steward his presence all day long. Amen. You know, honestly, this is the reason I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, drove back from a call by myself really early this morning. And I was thinking of, of part of one of the main reasons I, I even came and, and moved from California. Me and my wife moved here is because really early on when I talked to Jordan, he'd, he'd talk to me about the vision of this house. Um, that this church would be a place whether that you are in the marketplace, whether you're a, pre you're a preacher or whether you're a worshiper, we will be a house that seeks first his face. That we will see each and every believer in this house as a priest and that we will orient ourselves and give ourselves to building him a house and a place to rest in. And I was like, wow, it's happening it's happening in our church. Look what's happening in our worship services. Look what's, what's happening in prayer sets. God is meeting us in a powerful way. Amen? I'm trying to go quick for you all. Is that good? Or do you want me to go slow? <laughs> go slow? Okay. I, I think in a lot of ways, the Western church has forgot about the fear of the Lord. Um, you know, like seriously, like we, we are conditioned to treat God like a puppet, like a genie in a bottle. We've, we've lost this, this, this reverence, you know? Uh, and it's, it's, not a, it's, it's, it's not a good thing to try and fit God into aspects of our lives. It's like the way God works is he wants all of it, you know? And he's a gentleman and he will respect and he will honor the boundaries that you put on him. Um, but he's looking for men and women to be like David. Uh, men and women who say, I will not rest, Psalm 132. I will not rest. I will not enter my house 
until I find a dwelling place for you, O God. That's really good. That's what he's, he's not looking for people to pray, you know, before they wake up and on their way to work. He's, he's looking for people that say, will you give your life? Will you give all of who you are? Will you consecrate yourselves to orient your whole lives around living my will? Not having me just inform your will sometime. Does that make sense? Okay. Awesome. And so priest, if, if, you are, if you truly call yourself a priest, like Paul calls us and Peter calls us, and like the Lord calls us all throughout this book, Israel is called a kingdom of priests. They are a holy nation to the Gentiles. Peter says that, that you are living stones being built to be a spiritual house, that you are a chosen royal priesthood. And if you are truly a priest, then you do all that you can in your life to live out God's desires for your life. This is the difference between King Saul and King David. King Saul was king of Israel, and he was king of Israel because people wanted, the people of Israel wanted a king. And he was man's king for Israel. And what you see all throughout uh, the story of King Saul and Israel is King Saul would, would uh, use God whenever it was convenient for him. When, when, <laughs> whenever Saul needed God, that's when he would prioritize the ark. But if he didn't need the ark, he just did whatever was in his heart. And there's this story in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 14, where, where Saul has put the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the very thing that dwells the presence of God, he has put it in the forest in the wilderness, and they're in battle, and he thinks they're going to lose, and he looks at his commanders and he says, hey, go grab the ark and bring it, because maybe if you bring the, the ark here, we won't lose, because God will be with us. Only when it was convenient for him. Does that make sense? That's what the Western church does a lot. We love living in holiness and consecrating ourselves to the Lord when it's convenient. You know, we love getting up early to pray when it's convenient. <laughs> now, here's what King David did. King David was what? A man after God's own? And in Acts 13, it says that David accomplished all that God had planned for him. Sign me up for that. Who wants that to be your testimony, huh? That like you live the purpose of God for your life so that literally when you get there, he says, you did the purposes that I made you for. <laughs> Come on. That's what it means to be a priest. He was a, look, David was a messy guy, man. That's why I love King David so much. He was messy. He was not perfect, but he had the main thing, the main thing. And he was, and, and, and even when he messed up and he did dumb, 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 dumb things, like affairs and murdering friends, like bad idea. 
you know, like really, really bad idea. But that's a man after God's own heart because he cleaned up his mess. Amen. And so listen to King David. So King David has been like, he was anointed king at a very young age when he was in the, was, when he was a shepherd in a field. Then King Saul, David Goliath thing happened. All that happened. Saul gets jealous. Saul tries to kill David. David hides, spends his whole like teenage 20s life essentially in hiding because King Saul is so jealous and wants to kill him. So David is honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord, and has every opportunity, and even his friends and people are saying, hey, you know, when King Saul comes in, just take his head off. We want you king anyways. And King David was like, no, I will not do this. Live with integrity. So then King Saul passed away. David's the king of Judah, and David becomes king of Israel. Israel has been in turmoil. They have been in constant war over and over and over again. Constant war. Everyone's excited now that David is king. David becomes king. It's his first 100 days in office, right? Let's put this, let's just make this like America, you know? I don't know if that will be on the Bible project. First 100 days in office. Everyone's been waiting for this great hero, David, to become king. And it's his first day in, one of his first days in being the king of Israel. And he says, oh, I have an idea. The first thing I'm going to do, you know, I can just imagine him meeting with all of his, like, you know, they're in the war room or whatever. And David's like, I got an idea. They're all probably expecting, we're going to, are we going to go after the Philistines first? We're going to go after da, 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 da. And David goes, I got an idea. You know the Ark of the Covenant that's been in the wilderness for 30 years? Let's go get that and bring it back into the center of our city. That the Ark of the Presence that's been gone for so long the first thing that I'm doing as king is I'm showing you that I'm actually not the king. He is. And so David is the king of Israel, God's chosen people. And his first act is, we talked about it the last time I preached. He put on very little clothing, which was the clothing of a priest. He's not a priest. He's king. And he ushers in the ark of God into the capital city and says, this is your nation, not mine. He used his kingly authority, but operated from the heart of a priest. God doesn't say you're not supposed to walk in authority. He just says, walk in mine. We, you know, King Saul had authority. God gave him authority, but he walked in his own authority. David chose to live under his authority. Does that make sense? Oh, this is really good. So then David ushers in the ark into the center of capital city, he enters it into the White House, right next to the White House. He says, oh, better idea. Let's build a tent. 
and let's rip the veil so the glory of the Lord can just push. Oh, better idea. I'm going to hire 4,288 singers and musicians and we're going to offer day and night worship 24-7 to this presence that's been in the wilderness for 30 years. Oh, by the way, it's probably going to cost a billion dollars. That's what scholars believe. That's not what I'm making up. And can you imagine what, what all of David's generals and war room buddies would be like? You're going to spend a billion dollars on singing? You're going to spend, you're going to hire 4,288 singers and dancers and artists to, to, to sing to this thing that's, that's been in this wilderness for 30 years? Yup. Because he knows that's how God's government works. The government of heaven is really simple. It's filled with worship. <laughs> and so, <laughs> holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy, worthy, worthy. That is the operating system of heaven. And so David says, God didn't tell him to rip the veil. David chose to because he's like, these people need his presence. Isn't that good news? I'm just shooting from the hip, man. But he literally did the exact opposite of King Saul. Like the exact opposite. <laughs> and Israel became a righteous, holy nation. And the favor of God came upon that nation like it never had before. And the favor has not lifted since. Oh, because David, if we want to see the kingdom of heaven invade earth, we need to have the same heart as David. That says, I know this doesn't make a lot of sense to go to like a bunch of prayer meetings, to wake up really early and just sing. Like I don't, but that's what's going on in heaven. And if you want the kingdom and the culture of heaven to come upon your life, to come upon your marriage, to come upon your workplace, like submit it to the governmental structure of heaven. Worship, pray, seek the beauty of the face of the Lord because that is what is happening in heaven. And that's what David did. And that's why the favor of God came upon Israel and has not left and will not leave. And, they, and guess what? Jesus sits on David's throne. You hear that? Head pastor saying, I'm preaching. And he doesn't need preaching to as much as we all else do. <laughs> That's funny, huh? 
I'm joking. I need so much preaching. <clears throat> wow. But here's what's important. This is one of my favorite parts. I put this in red, which that means it's important. Before David was ever king, he was doing the same thing that he was doing when he was king. He didn't read a manual on how to be king. His manual was the shepherd field where the Lord would meet him over and over and over and over and over again. So he goes, this may seem crazy. I know Saul had a way different way of doing this, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build him a resting place, and I'm not going to rest until I find a dwelling place for him. And here's, here's this is really important, okay? You ready? And then we're going to go. I'm making this a quick sermon. Psalm 32 is, I believe, the, the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful depiction of David's heart. It says, I will not rest until I find a dwelling place for you. Here's the thing. That wasn't David's desire. That was God's desire that David caught. David didn't conjure up that desire. That, that wasn't something that was just innate in him. David caught God's desire because he knew how desired he was. And I feel like sometimes we as a church and as a people and as a nation want to perform our way into desire. That we want to conjure up some kind of emotional experience to, to produce desire inside of our hearts. But the truth is the only way desire will increase on your life. And if you want to actually have the same desire as David is if you start beholding the beauty of God and realize that he, this whole book is a love story, a love note of him saying, I desire you. You, we can't conjure up that kind of, no passionate experience is going to lead you to getting to a place of being like, oh, this one thing that I ask, this one thing that I seek is to behold the beauty of the Lord. You can say that in an emotional moment, but what will lead to that is by knowing the beauty of the Lord yourself. What will lead to that and what will lead to the ability of when you're being the king of a nation, able to lay it down and say, we're not doing this my way, we're doing it your way, is because David knew that God desperately, desperately loved him. He knew that David, David knew that God just wanted to be with him. Ho! God wants to be with you. God wants to be in your marriage. God wants to be in your workplace. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. He loves you. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have the fullness of God dwell inside of you so that you could be a living temple for his glory. So that the same favor that exists in David's life could rest upon your life because he so stinking loves you.
You can't perform your way. You can't, you can't earn it. He died on the cross so that you could become a resting place for his glory. And I feel like Jesus is just like, church, will you believe it? Will you believe that I'll just heal you because I love you and not because I want you to do anything with it? Do you see what I'm saying? Like he just loves us. David was able to give all of his authority away because he knew how loved he was. And because he spent years and years and years and years beholding the beauty of the Lord in a shepherd's field. Does that make sense? Beholding means to look at. It's really simple. And I don't know it's complicated. Me and Jordan were talking this week. It's like... (laughs) this is something I do as a worship leader but I don't do in like normal life I'll be leading worship I'll just be like look at Jesus look at Jesus and you're like where is he you know it's like a weird thing to say and so we were talking a lot about what does it mean to look look at Jesus well if the only place you're looking for him is here you will see him here I promise you, you already did see him here. You know, he came, he filled this room doing worship. It was so beautiful. Um, But this book is where you see him. You know, it tells you exactly what he's like. There's no confusion. (laughs) It's really clear. He's clothed in white. He's in, you know, trying to imagine things with eyes all around. It's kind of crazy, but. Just read it and dwell on it. I don't know what it means. But he tells me to do it. You know? I know that he has nails, scars in his hand. I know that he has a thorn on his, that he had a thorn on his brow. I know he was whipped enough times that he was unrecognizable. I know that he breathed life into to man's, you know, flesh. Stare at him by this. Just look at him. You know, sometimes when I'm, this is free tip. Sometimes I'm leading worship. The, my friends are talking to me. They say sometimes when I'm leading worship, I'll be like eyes closed the whole time. And then like I'll start squinting, going like this. And usually when I, I, didn't, I don't even realize I do it. But, but why I do it is because in, when I'm in worship, there are times where I'm like, oh, I, I lost engagement. Like I'm, I'm not connected anymore. And I'm like, what happened? And so literally what I do is I look around and I watch Jesus touching people. And I'm like, oh, there you are. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. There you are. Look at what you're doing again. You're touching people. (laughs) Look to the person next to you. They're a reflection of the beauty of Jesus. 
there's God inside of them. And so here's the deal. Read this book, worship him. And when you disengage, keep searching, keep looking. And just like, think about the cross. When in doubt, go back to the cross. When in doubt, man, you have to watch the chosen, watch the chosen. Like just something, look at the beauty of Jesus. Amen. So I was thinking, I'm going to tell this one story and then, and then I'll be done. Um, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If we want transformation in our lives, how many of you want to be transformed from one degree of glory to another? Come on, amen. Me too. More Lord. <laughs> All the days of my life, more, Lord. All the days of my life, come on, Lord, just transform us into the beauty of your image. And we will be transformed by beholding. Beholding is to look at. And so I was thinking this week, for some reason when I was praying, the Lord um, said, I want you to share the story of how you started fly fishing. I know it sounds funny. But I was thinking of how I fell in love with fly fishing. And I remember I was in high school, came up here to Sun Valley with Brent, my buddy over here. And him and his dad knew how to fly fish and they're really, really good at fly fishing. I had no idea what I'm doing. I don't have the best hand-eye coordination. I pretend like I do, but the truth is I don't have the best hand-eye coordination. And I was like, okay, so I'm also like, you know, I don't really follow rules very well, you know? And so I go out fly fishing. It's my first time ever. I've never done it. Brent's like, you know, it's going to take time. You know, your first few times, you're probably not going to catch any fish. It's just kind of the thing. Like, how hard is it? You just throw, you know, just throw some out there. He's like, no, just trust me. He's like, and I remember him saying that. He said, just watch me. Just, just watch me and my dad. I was like, no. So I didn't. And... I had my fly rod and I started fishing. I was whipping it back and forth. Got caught in a tree, caught in this. My fly came off. I'm like, why am I not catching any fish? Brent's like, I told you to watch me. So he like got me all dialed, all figured out. And then I just stood there and I watched him. I watched him and his dad fly fishing. And I like was able to step back. And I like, the sun was setting in Sun Valley. Like the art of the cast is beautiful. And I saw like the joy on both their faces when they caught their first fish. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm going to like this. But by simply watching, I became fascinated. And when I became fascinated, it sparked desire to go through the long process of learning how to fly fish. Now I can outfish Brent any day of the week. (laughs) That's not true. He's still way better than me. But you see, like, we need, like, there is no quick tip to, like, growing in desire for the Lord. How many of you have ever gotten exhausted because you're like, I've been trying really hard to spark desire and it's just not happening. 
Honestly, raise your hand high if that's ever you. Look around the room. We live in a culture that says perform, 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 perform. Jesus is saying, just look at me. And it's going to take time. But the more you stare into the beautiful words of this book, the more you stare into the beautiful eyes of Jesus, the more you read stories and testimonies of the beauty and the power of the gospel, the more you do it, the more fascinated you will become. And the more fascinated you will become, the more desire will be produced in you and the more on fire you will be. And all of a sudden we are all temples in a dwelling place of his presence. Amen. Come on. All right, will you stand up? I'm done. Are we game to be like David? I want to read this. I read this last week. Um, Then I'll pray over us and we'll just leave. Because, you know, the presence of God is here with us and we're going to leave with him. But David ushers in the ark. He builds the tabernacle. I love this story. The presence of God has been absent from Israel for 30 years. Now it is here. David set up the tent of the Lord of the tabernacle right next to his house. This is after his whole dancing fiasco where he said, I will become even more undignified than this. And he's in his house and he essentially says, Why is my house nicer than God's house? (laughs) He says, why is my house nicer than God's house? And he, that night he tells Nathan that he wants to build the Lord a house. And in verse four, it says, but the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house. This is God speaking. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word of any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? What is God saying? How did you know this? God's saying, I didn't tell anybody that I wanted a house to dwell in. How did you pick this up? (laughs) And he says, now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following of the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have went, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord David, the Lord will make you David a house. 
And he says, someone will always sit on the throne of David. David got a touch of God's heart because he spent years and years and years gazing at his beauty. So that God didn't even need to speak something to him. He just knew what God's desire was because he knew how much God loved to be with him. And it so moved God's heart that his very own son sits on the throne of David. Jesus, oh, I mean, think about how God so loved David's heart that his own son sits on David's throne for all of eternity. God sits on a human throne. That's powerful. And so, Lord Jesus, I just, uh, I thank you, God, for how you manifested yourself in this house tonight. We aren't just playing church, God. We say we want all of you. I thank you that you, you, you keep disrupting our services, Lord. I thank you that for the life of me, I just change how I'm preaching. I thank you for the opportunity to learn, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we would all be like David, that we would be priestly kings, that we'd be priestly queens, that we'd be priestly moms and we'd be priestly dads and we'd be priestly real estate workers and priestly doctors and and priestly, priestly, priestly people. And God, we say yes to building you a house and we say yes to consecrating ourselves to being like, God, you can rest here. We want to see Boise be a resting place for your glory, God. We want to see our families be a resting place for your presence, God. We want to be a people who prioritize your presence before our own agenda. God, we repent and we say sorry for all the ways that we act like Saul, for all the ways that we use you when it's convenient. We repent as a church, God, for all the ways we try and just treat you like, oh, thank you for coming and then move on because we have something better to do. We say, God, there is nothing better to do than to build you a house. There is nothing better we can do with all of our days but to seek your beauty. There is nothing better we can do than reading our Bibles and seeing the beauty of the Lord and the love letters that you've written to us for all of eternity. God, I thank you I just pray, I break the spirit of religion right now over anyone in this church that, that, that is struggling to read the Bible because it feels religious. Ha, I, I cancel and I just break that assignment in the name of Jesus. And I say that the word of God, may it be like love letters to us, Lord. Ha. <laughs> Lord, for all of, I just, I pray for, for anyone in here who doesn't have any musical ability, that they would find a way to love worshiping you. 
<laughs> yeah. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good word. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Um, so, uh, Schiff, where are you? Shifa, if you don't mind coming up and playing some keys, I just feel like there's a, little, a, a couple people that the Lord wants to minister to tonight, and I'll pray for you uh, if you want. But I, I felt like for those of you who are like really, really struggling with apathy, like you've fallen into the same habit over and over and over and over and over and over again of like not being able to uh, like get into a rhythm of daily spending with God. Like I just feel like the Lord wants, wants to minister to you tonight. So if that's you, come on up. Uh, and uh, if not, just have a blessed day. And I just charge you in the, the name of the Lord to seek first his face this week.